This podcast is brought to you by Fiserv. As a global leader in payments and financial technology, Fiserv helps credit unions achieve best-in-class results through a commitment to innovation and excellence in areas including account processing and digital banking solutions, card issuer processing and network services, payments, e-commerce, merchant acquiring and processing, and the Clover cloud-based point-of-sale solution. Fiserv solutions provide credit union members with reliable and innovative technology, superior experiences, and a healthy financial life. Visit Fiserv.com for more information. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union People. Credit Union Ideas. The last 24 months have accelerated the competitive environment for card loyalty as the digital experience continues to redefine the consumer journey. Simply put, providing a seamless digital experience for your members will establish your credit union as a leader in the evolving payments landscape and significantly elevate your brand. When your card is available physically and digitally at every purchase opportunity, members are more engaged, more loyal, and income opportunities abound. I'm Ron Jose, a senior editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News podcast, Randy Pyatt, Vice President of Product Solutions and Marketing at Fiserv, discusses how credit unions can meet the expectations required by members in this accelerated environment while delivering a seamless experience that keeps their card both top of wallet and front of phone. In addition, Pyatt provides insight on how credit unions can better understand what channels their members are using and where further opportunities for growth exist. Thanks for joining us, Randy. As financial institutions compete for cardholder loyalty in the payments world, what do credit unions need to do to keep and increase their market share against larger financial institutions and competitors like Cash App, Venmo, Chime, and other neobanks, as well as emerging person-to-person payment ecosystems like uh, Buy Now and Pay Later? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll answer it in two parts. The first is, you know, just being mindful of the environment and how rapidly it's changing. You know, the the last 24 months or so that we've all been through with the pandemic saw some pretty significant uh, paradigm-changing interactions in terms of how members interact with their credit unions and financial institutions, but also how they're interacting with the merchants that they shop with every day. And the foundational assumption is how do we make sure that our card is readily available in those environments? And so as credit unions think about what they should be focused on, for me, it's two buckets of considerations. Number one, what are the interactions that are important to an individual cardholder, their member? And number two, how do they do that? So we believe pretty strongly in in some of the research data that we've compiled tells us that there are really five key interactions with the card that are meaningful to the cardholder. The first is, of course, getting the card. How do we get a new card or a replacement card very quickly right on their device, their iPad, their smartphone, whatever it is, so that they can be using that card right away, whether it's a new card or a replacement event, you know, where we're worried about attrition. The second is 
how do I use it? And you know, many issuers will say, the only thing worse than not having my card is having my card and not using it. So while they're excited about the experience and excited about the offering, how do you get them to put that in the wallet so that they are spending digitally? Because the wallet actually supports all three commerce channels, in-store, in-app, and online. And so getting them to use the card is important. Third is going to be understanding. Help me understand where my card is being used. Help me understand where my card is being stored for subscriptions and ad hoc you know, on-demand purchases. And then thirdly, give me insights into my spend so that I want to pull this card out of my wallet over the other cards that I absolutely have in my wallet. The fourth bucket is just give me the opportunity to manage it. Give me the opportunity to do things that I don't have to call you or stop in to talk to you at a branch. So let me set controls and alerts. Let me mark a card lost or stolen or submit a travel plan all digitally because ultimately what I want is for you, and this is part number five, to engage with me with value-added features that are meaningful to me, like rewards or offers that help me decide that it's more relevant for me to pull this card out of my wallet, physically or digitally, than any other thing. So those are the key card experiences, that first bucket. The second piece is, and, and you talked about how do you compete with the big players or these new fintechs? Well, listen, in, in many cases, you just can't compete dollar for dollar. So it's important to find the right partner that helps you execute at a pace and scale that's relevant for you. It's it's the rare institution, candidly, that can execute on these types of things. And they are typically at the higher end of the asset spectrum. So for your community financial institutions, finding the right partner that understands digital, understands the environment, and helps them execute against those five key experiences with the card. Again, get a card, use a card, understand it, manage it, and then engage with me. That's going to be key uh, through a partnership. So let's dig into these five essential needs a little deeper. What do they do for the cardholder and what do they do for the financial institution? What we know and have known for a couple of decades, Ron, is that you know there's there's more than one credit card in the average wallet of the US consumer, which means they're trying to make a decision which card. But now we're learning that there's potentially more than one debit card in the wallet of the average consumer, where some studies have suggested maybe as much as a third of the country has more than one checking account. So the idea that you need to somehow establish a better viewpoint into share of wallet and overall spend is critical. So what these essentials do is really help that cardholder decide, this is the card that's meaningful for me. I have the information I need. I have the ability and am empowered to make decisions and manage the card as I want. I have an understanding, hopefully in real time, about what that is. For the issuer, the credit union, this is where it actually gets pretty exciting. And that is, the more you do to empower the cardholder, certainly they're using that card more. So you're growing the portfolio in terms of spend. You're also going to have that word of mouth and marketing benefit of people coming to the portfolio because they're interested in the engaging digital experience. And then you have all the downstream benefits of increased dollars in your non-interest bearing accounts, or you're lowering your operating expense in the call center because there are less calls coming in because they can manage that experience on the device and not have to call you. And so there's a ton of opportunity there as you add more and more to the journeys 
that they require to be able to do that. And I think it's important to reinforce for credit unions today, the competition, if you will, for digital is absolutely not the other institutions in their peer group. It is the other digital experiences that their members are having on their cards and on their mobile devices each and every day. The ability to add your card real quickly to DoorDash and get your food delivered in very quickly or to download the, the Nordstrom app and pick out a new outfit and go pick it up curbside in just a few minutes. So that's the type of experiences where they're turning around to their issuer and saying, how do I have that type of easy frictionless experience with you? And the key is doing it through those five key interactions that we talked about. What are the next steps? What do they do next? The key point to understand here is that there's a rapid shift going on in the merchant side that is seeing a significant uptick in card on file, in subscription-based interactions, and even card on file type things that are changing the in-store interactions with a merchant where there's curbside pickup or in-store pickup that you know come across as a card not present type uh, interaction. And so the key there is how do you make sure that your digital experience of your card from a payment perspective is transparent and frictionless and has the ability to be used really almost anywhere. So how do you increase the footprint of utility for that card? It starts fundamentally with making sure that you support tokenization on the portfolio so that you can use all of the digital wallets. And there are more of them each and every day from Apple Pay and Google Pay that support that and and many others or, or even retailers now using tokenization. So there's just a tremendous opportunity. So that cornerstone of taking a rich digital experience and now making those payments frictionless and transparent is predicated on that uh, availability of that card. And then obviously that just translates very quickly then. It's integrated into every other channel. Anywhere that that card can be exposed, it's easily done so either through getting at the card information in the experience of the institution or being able to add it quickly into the quote unquote wallet of the retailer or into one of the digital wallets for use. You talked about how the payment ecosystems are changing so rapidly, especially since the onset of the pandemic, and it's changing virtually day to day. Can you dig a little deeper into what are the reasons why these payment ecosystems are changing so rapidly? Here at Pfizer, we have a company uh, that is part of the Pfizer umbrella called Rad, and they did some really interesting research around you know what what the spend looks like what people are doing and seeing that the average consumer is making just shy of 24 purchases a month and over half of these are done via a card they're using that card either physically or digitally but they also are really rapidly shifting to more and more digital services 40% of them said that they were doing transactions on their mobile phone or on the computer as opposed to directly face-to-face with a merchant or over the phone with a merchant. So this idea of maintaining top of wallet status, which in a lot of cases is also top of mind. How do you make sure that that member thinks of your card when they have a purchase event that they need to take care of? And that's everything from buying a new pair of shoes to getting your gas bill set up on an auto pay. How do you make sure that your card is the one that is important and used there. Because, you know, as we've been talking about, that shift is creating new journeys for that cardholder with respect to the merchant. People aren't going out 
a Friday night on the average anymore and just doing dinner in a movie. They're streaming a movie and, you know, having their food delivered via DoorDash. They're not going to the grocery store and walking the aisles and picking up their groceries. They're picking it up curbside or they're having it delivered via Instacart. And all of those are enabled through a purchase experience that is zero click or one click simply because you can add your card or use the digital wallet. And so that idea that more and more of these purchase interactions are going digital, I think is borne out by the data. Again, 40% of them doing that. Now, at the same time, what does it mean for the institution? As you know, a lot of the institutions get concerned about, am I near the Durban regulated limits and that kind of stuff? And so does my non-interest income in the form of interchange, especially on debit, get affected by that? Once they cross that 10 billion mark, that gets significantly affected. Uh, you know, some of the data says I think 27% of that non-interest income came from interchange in 2020 alone. And so when they cross that Durban line, that number drops in terms of overall revenue and becomes more about how many transactions do I get in a month versus the individual size of the transaction. And so if you can continue to make sure that your card is both eligible and capable of being in all of these purchase capabilities, the better you are able to maintain that relationship and in many cases, expand that relationship with that member, the cardholder. So what should issuers be thinking when they're just starting this journey? Where should they place their focus? You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and it's that foundational component of tokenization. I think that when you can make sure that your card is available physically and digitally in every single purchase opportunity as much as possible. And that means not only being able to be supported at the merchant, but connectable to Venmo, connectable potentially to Cash App and their, you know, their ability to add a debit card and all those things. But then thinking through what do you do in a card interruption event? So how are you supporting digital issuance and the ability to get new card credentials that doesn't require them to wait seven to 10 days for new plastic. And therefore you can have a prompt that says, hey, Ron, your new digital card is ready for use. We've updated your Apple wallet and you're ready to go. Or, hey, we see you haven't added it to the wallet, click here to add it to the wallet and get them putting it in the digital domain. So you don't have that attrition of spend, that loss of interchange that comes along with that to be able to do that. So that broad digital integration is absolutely the focus and you know how should they start that journey because this is probably the most confusing point because you'll you'll hear a lot of people say well I'm not sure my customer is ready for that in my area of the country or this uh, particular demographic I have with my institution and yet you look at the retailers that are around them and they're forcing them into these digital flows forcing them into Okay, you don't want to come walk through our store. Well, our only option is curbside pickup, and you got to be able to put your card in our uh, mobile app and do your ordering that way. And so I think we're moving on from fencing ourselves in around, we don't think it works here, or, or maybe they're not ready to. It's just so omnipresent in, in the industry, these digital ways of making purchases across the entire merchant base. Why is card loyalty important to issuers? The loyalty question gets to that shared wallet. And in a lot of cases, it's really hard to know if they, you know, the cardholder left them, if you will, for a different card or, or even payment app. 
unless they're paying attention to trends. And so you have to really have a robust ability to look at your portfolio and understand things like, you know, monthly spend tracking. Are there the total dollars on the card trending in one direction or the other that's meaningful? Things like merchant categories, are they using the same merchant categories? Are they expanding it or are you seeing less? Was their card on file with Netflix and you saw that card coming through every month for that Netflix purchase, but then suddenly it goes away? Why did that go away? Do you understand what happened there and how do you get that? Because the relationship of a card to a merchant is typically measured in years. When somebody puts their card with a merchant, they don't change it for a very long time. And the typical US consumer doesn't maintain a list of where they've stored their card and they react in the moment in a payment challenge with whatever the next card in their wallet is. And the credit unions that are you know, listening here today will say, I want that to be one of my cards. Well, the way to do that is certainly to make sure that they have that digital experience. And so that loyalty, separate from any sort of like loyalty rewards kind of value proposition is more about how do you get them pulling that card out and being able to do that. Now, they should also consider things like what channels are they using? Can they you know, make sure that they can support things like person-to-person, all the robust bill payment capabilities that's out there? Can you give them the informational insights like credit score tracking or offers for other features and products and services that are available within the institution? Because if you don't keep them engaged regularly, you run the risk of getting them focused on somebody else, some other issuer. And that engagement, and through the card in particular, because that card is used multiple times per day, ideally, uh, uh, minimally multiple times per week, but more often than they log into mobile and online, more often than they call the call center or the member services center, or more than they stop in a branch. It's the indicator of the relationship and the key to the doorway to a long-term broad footprint, profitable relationship with that member. And so making sure that you're paying attention to all those touch points is really why that loyalty is critical because it gives you those leading indicators of where something might be going in the wrong direction. So what do consumers expect from their financial institutions? I think it's very clear that the average US consumer, the member of the credit unions we're talking with here today, have very clearly said don't make me come see you. Don't make me call you. Give me every possible opportunity to do something on my own from the thing that is never more than three feet away from me, my phone, right? How do I make sure that this thing that's an extension of who I am, I have a 15-year-old that I swear he sleeps with his phone at this point. He and everybody in the age group right above him are exactly the same. So how do we make sure that we're engaged in the ways that they want to be. It's that old adage, meet your customer where they are, meet your member where they are. And the answer to that right now is they are on the phone, they're on digital. And so that's the expectation. Uniquely here, you have both sides of that coin making the same demand. Because not only are they saying that to their financial institution, they're also saying it to the merchants that they're shopping with. I can't tell you the last time that I walked into actually a grocery store and went and did my shopping, pushing a cart up and down the aisle. I am so enthralled with the ability to do curbside pickup. And uh, I'm a Kroger shopper here and we have a uh, click list, they call it. And I just pull up into the parking spot and they bring out my groceries, put it in my trunk and I'm ready to go. And I save 
90 minutes of time that I would pay five times probably just on an individual basis of what they're asking me to pay. So that opportunity to engage digitally is happening both for the financial services side and the merchant side. And consumers are saying, don't make me work hard. Make this easier for me. I got enough going on. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This podcast is brought to you by Fiserv. As a global leader in payments and financial technology, Fiserv helps credit unions achieve best-in-class results through a commitment to innovation and excellence in areas including account processing and digital banking solutions, card issuer processing and network services, payments, e-commerce, merchant acquiring and processing, and the Clover cloud-based point-of-sale solution. Fiserv Solutions provide credit union members with reliable and innovative technology, superior experiences, and a healthy financial life. Visit Fiserv.com for more information.